0: Um, as we go through our, our study of the life of Christ and uh, they're so, so deep, so, so profound um, and I just uh, wanted to be accurate in um, in uh, teaching uh, the pro- the parable to you today. John, I forgot my mic. Could, could one of you bring that up to me, please? It's one of those days. Um, so we're in Luke chapter 8 this morning and... Um, oh, Let me put my mic on real quick. I could not sleep last night uh, for some reason. And uh, if I got an hour collective of sleep last night, I would be surprised. So I'll use that for my excuse today for not having my mic on. All right, our uh, parable today that we're going to look at, as I said, is in Luke chapter 8. And uh, it's the parable of the sower, is what it's, it's commonly known as, um, or the parable of the soil, there it is, um, or the parable of the different conditions of the heart when presented with the gospel. There, there's lots of different ways um, that this parable has been cited or is recalled as. A very familiar parable, uh, you can probably almost quote it to me word for word, um, I, I want to give a little definition of a parable i think that's important uh, before we get into our study over the next few weeks through the parables but a parable the the literal definition is to put one thing alongside another for comparison and this was typic, a typical way of teaching by rabbis or the teachers of the day of christ in the day of that christ minister on the earth Uh, Still a familiar way of teaching, you tell a story, an illustration, you try to relate uh, current events to what's going on in in our lives. You see these different styles, these different types of using stories to teach. Um, Parables would put a story alongside a spiritual truth. That's probably more the definition that you're used to there. Um, Parables placed profound theological truth in familiar settings. Jesus is well known for teaching in parables and uh, probably the greatest user of parables of all time. You know, Jesus is recalled as a, a wonderful teacher, as a great teacher, uh, the greatest teacher of all, as far as I'm concerned. But remember, he was so much more than a great teacher. He, he is God, he is Messiah. Come down. Uh, So much more than a great teacher. So don't get caught up on just thinking he was a great teacher. This parable is a huge turning point in Jesus' public ministry. And I want you to grasp this. I want you to think about this. Matthew tells us that from this point on, Jesus spoke to the large crowds in parables only. Anybody know that? It's interesting that Matthew records that. But Jesus' teachings, I'll try to explain why this is going on, Jesus' teachings up to this point have been very clear, they've been very precise, um, but He's been rejected by the multitudes in large part. They don't like what He has to say, so they would reject Him. They might follow Him for a little bit to see what He would do, but they would reject His teaching. they would walk away when they didn't like what He had to say. They rejected who He claimed to be. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be God in the flesh. The Son of God. They rejected that. Jesus' teaching the crowds in parables would leave His message to be understood by only those who would hear. And by hear I mean those who would truly believe. And Jesus will explain this in our text today. But this Jesus doing this or Jesus responding uh, in this way with parables is you can view it as a type of judgment, if you will. Because he had clearly, as I said, clearly been explaining who he was, what he came to do. And now he's going to mask those truths a little bit. We'll see in the story here. He'll explain this. This isn't me making stuff up. But he will he will mask these truths, these profound theological truths, in a parable. And uh, it's... We'll see this unfold as we go through our study. But let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into our text this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You so much that You love us, that You care for us, that You are so faithful and so good to us. I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for Your mercy. I thank You so much for Your Son, uh, for the gift of salvation that You offered. I thank you last week that we were able to to pause and to celebrate the resurrection. I'm so thankful for that and all that it represents. Thank you for your care for us. I pray that you will give us understanding as we study this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right, our what we're looking at today, what we're studying is Luke chapter eight, verses four through fifteen. But I want to start in the in Matthew's account of this same event. It's in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. So this just kind of sets the scene for what's going on in Luke. "...the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto Him, so that He went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore." And He spake many things unto them in parables, saying. So do you see what's happening here? There's a huge crowd coming to hear Jesus. They, they want to see what Jesus will do mostly, we've come to find out. They, they want to hear what He has to say, kind of. Uh, we know there's people in the crowd who want to trip Jesus up, who want to see Him saying he, he shouldn't be saying, this is going on, but there's so many people here. Jesus starts out sitting on the seaside, And then the crowd comes up so much that he ends up getting onto a a ship there, pushing away from shore a little bit, sitting on the ship and teaching the people in parables. So think about this huge, massive crowd here listening to Jesus, because that's important as we continue with the story. Whole bunch of people to hear what Jesus has to say or to to see what Jesus has to do. Now we're back in Luke chapter 8, verse number 4. And when much people were gathered together, and were come to Him out of every city He spake by parable. So again, it's reiterated. There's a whole bunch of people here to see what Jesus has to say. They don't really want to hear. They don't really want to understand. They don't really want to listen, if you will, but they want to be there just in case something really great happens. So that's what's going on here. Jesus is going to address this large crowd by way of parable. Can you kind of picture this? You all know by now that I like to picture these stories playing out can you picture the king of kings sitting on the edge of this ship getting ready to teach these people some amazing profound truths about his kingdom about himself about well he's going to teach them a lot of stuff but specifically in this this parable he's going to teach them about the different ways people respond to the gospel when it's presented So here's the scene. This is what's happening. Jesus starts with the parable. Verses 5-8. through A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit and hundredfold. So, Jesus told a story here that the people of this area could relate to. See, Galilee was a, known as an agricultural area. It's even possible that while, while Jesus is teaching here, maybe off in the distance, there's a farmer working out in his field and doing this very thing. I kind of doubt it, but it's possible I mean, I would think if a farmer heard that Jesus was you know, within seeing distance, he would run over and at least see what's going on. But it's possible Jesus could have pointed out to this field and said, told them this story about the sower, and they could have looked out, oh yeah, I can, I can relate to that. These people had probably done some of their own planting, grown some of their own crops. So Jesus' story would have been familiar to the hearers. Simple story, easy to visualize. Uh, maybe as I read it, you're visualizing a farmer trying to plant his field. Um, we have a field, we have a sower, we have a seed, and we have different types of ground where the seed would fall. Verse 5 says, A sower went to sow. And I want you to understand, common sense tells us he didn't go start the tractor and you know, get, get the planter and start you know, drilling the seeds in the ground the way that they would sow the fields were much smaller they would work the ground and then they would walk down the furrows of the field and they would they would scatter plant their fields and i tried to do this in my yard with my alfalfa and it didn't work i'm not good at all at this but he's you know hand scattering these seeds and hopefully evenly and no matter how careful he is how how hard he tries to do it well stuff is going to go places where he doesn't necessarily want it to go so so that's what's going on here. The seed is falling in different ground with different conditions. Some fell by the wayside. What is the wayside talking about? Around the perimeter of the field, there would be paths. Paths where the farmers would walk or if people going through the countryside would walk. There was these paths. And uh, if you understand the, the dry climate there, uh, you walk on ground and walk on ground. And you don't work it up. You don't water it. You don't, you don't turn it. It becomes basically like concrete. Okay, it's a road, and they want it to be a road, and they're going to keep it as a road. But seeds that fall on this road aren't going to do very well when they, they try to grow. So the seeds are scattered there. They're either trampled by foot traffic, or they're eaten by the birds. You ever planted like grass seed in your yard and you didn't cover it with anything? The birds are like, "Man, that looks good. I want some of that. And your grass never grows." Okay, so I imagine birds like, oh good, they're planting. Let's go see what we can get here. Okay, So this is the scene. Jesus is telling this story, this, this parable. This, this guy is planting in his field, throwing the seeds. It goes on the wayside. It's either trampled or it's eaten by birds. Not very productive uh, area to plant, but it happens. Verse 6, And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture so this this planting on a rock, you know as a, as a kid, when I heard this story or when I read it, I would think of this farmer having like rocks just laying around his field, and um, I grew up on a farm, and I quickly learned farmers don't have rocks laying around their field. Anybody ever have to spend their whole summers picking rocks out of fields? Okay, every time you work the dirt, rocks like have babies under there in the winter or something. right there, there's always rocks in the field, so a farmer would have cleared the rocks out of his field. So what's what's it talking about here? Hidden underneath the soil, there would have been rocks or there would have been a rocky patch where once this seed germinated or started to sprout, started to grow, the roots couldn't sink in. And what would happen? It would be burned up. It would be useless. Verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. So some seeds fell on ground that possibly looked good. I'm sure the farmer did his work to till the ground, but within that ground there was root systems or, or seeds for weeds, and the, the plant started to grow, and man, those weeds, weeds can grow so fast. I spent a lot of summers chopping weeds out of the field too, but the weeds would grow and they would choke out the plant. The plant would start to grow, weeds would overtake, the crop suffers, it dies, doesn't grow. Rough story so far, right? Think about this poor farmer. Like he's doing his thing. He's trying to grow his field. These are battles that every farmer would face. Depressing, disappointing. But some of the seeds would actually make it. The farmer usually does have a harvest of crops in spite of all the challenges, which takes us to verse 8. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bear fruit and hundredfold. So there it is, the farmer's work paid off. The seed was scattered, fell on that good ground. It took off, and it began to grow. It began to flourish, and the the yield was a hundredfold. That's a good day for any farmer, for your yield to be a hundredfold of what you what you plant. While Jesus was teaching this parable, he warned the people to listen. To hear and to understand. I mean, obviously, the people are there. They're, they're looking at Jesus. They're somewhat attentive. But the end of verse 8 says, And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Right? People, most people there probably had ears. There's a good chance of that. Okay, so he's speaking to the people and says, If you have ears, hear this. So much more than them just hearing Jesus, wah, 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 talking. He wanted them to hear, to understand, to listen, to pay attention what was going on. The warning that Jesus gave was heeded only by his true followers. Remember, I, I, I asked you to remember that there's a whole bunch of people here, a huge multitude of people. But as we go in the story, we find out the only people that asked Jesus what he was talking about were his true followers, were his disciples think that's interesting? After Jesus had just told them, pay attention, understand, hear what I'm trying to tell you, it's very important. Apparently, uh, they didn't care enough to ask Jesus what He was saying. Look at verse 9. And His disciples asked Him, saying, what might this parable be? So it's like Jesus is done teaching or the disciples pull him aside and say, Jesus, what are you talking about? What does this mean? We understand how a farmer works. We understand how it goes. What spiritual truths do you have for us here? And see how it goes. Verse verse number 10, And he said unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. That's that that judgment I was talking about at the beginning where Jesus is still speaking, He's still teaching, but these spiritual truths are now within a parable that the people would have to ask Jesus what He was talking about to get the meaning that Jesus was declaring here. I love the the disciples' response in verse 9. I know we moved to verse 10 already, but you see what they said? What might this parable be? Jesus, we care about what You're saying. We know You have truth for us in there. We want to know what You are teaching us. Please explain. What a wonderful attitude to the Word of God. You know, teach us, God. Help us to see what You want us to see. Help us to know Your truths. And I love how Ken brought that up this morning about just going through the motions of you know, doing that that Christian duty of, of reading the Bible, whatever you want to call it. But God is speaking to us in those words. It's not about just reading some verses and crossing it off the list, you know, so that we feel good about ourselves for the day. We get a chance to hear from God. And these disciples have this attitude of, God, You have spoken. Please help us to understand what You are saying. Verse Verse 10, Uh, we talked about it a little bit, but Jesus had warned the crowd to hear, and we only find His true followers seeking for the meaning of what Jesus said. But wasn't this typical of the ministry of Jesus? He spent His time proclaiming and teaching and declaring, and it would fall on deaf ears and finicky crowds. Jesus tells His disciples, the mysteries will be revealed you will know and you will understand the mysteries of the kingdom. But the hard hearted rejectors will continue to be taught in parables. They will remain blind and deaf and wandering, lost in their self-righteousness, dead in their trespasses and their sins. Look at verses eleven through fifteen. Because Jesus tells us exactly what He what he meant. He tells us exactly what he was saying. We don't have to try to guess and wonder and and figure it out, what spiritual truths he was talking about, Jesus tells us, verses 11-15, through 15. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should be, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So there Jesus explains what he's saying. But I want you to think about Jesus' ministry up to this point. Think about how He's been ministering. Think of how the people responded to Him. Remember the background leading up to this parable. It's not just an abstract parable you know, stuck somewhere in Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry had been working up to this place, and it comes to a head where now He begins to speak to the rejecting people in parables. We start Jesus' ministry, or we're going to right now, with John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist's message about Christ? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's a forerunner for Jesus telling the people what Jesus is there for, what He is coming to do. That His kingdom is coming. Repent. Okay, then we go forward into Jesus' ministry. Jesus is claiming, He's teaching, He's proving to be the Messiah. But how do the masses still respond? With rejection. They kind of follow Jesus. You can see crowds. But they're there to see the miracles. There's religious leaders trying to discredit Jesus. They're trying to turn the crowds away from Jesus. Some do follow. Some do truly believe. Jesus continues to operate in complete obedience to the Father. Man, it, working your whole ministry and just seeing people spit in your face and reject you and mock you and all that came along with Jesus' ministry, that could get tiring. But we find Jesus all through His ministry always being completely obedience to the will of the father and he continues to go he continues to work he continues to move forward jesus continues to seek and to save the lost jesus continues to be the way the truth and the life and in me this is this is kind of for free this is just a thought i had as i was studying i wonder what the disciples thought about all this right because you have Jesus ministering and he knows how people are receiving or not receiving. He knows what they're thinking. And he knows people are rejecting. And we have the disciples who are there with him the whole way. And they see that stuff. They see people not believing in Jesus. They see people rejecting Jesus. I wonder what if they were thinking, what's going on here? Like, we've given our lives to follow this this Messiah. We truly believe He is the Messiah. But what's happening here? Why aren't people believing? Why aren't people receiving? Why aren't people turning to the Lord? Maybe they were thinking, why don't more people believe? The truth is right in front of them. These people need Jesus. What's going on here? Jesus here uses this parable to give some answers to the way people responded to the Word of God. So maybe the disciples were wondering, I don't know. But what we have here is we have Jesus giving answers to why people responded the way they do to the Word of God. Or to the context here, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus explains the parable He had just given. The only people that ask for the meaning were his disciples. I want to keep reiterating that here. Verse eleven talks about the seed. The seed is the word of God or the gospel. Verse number twelve. Now the pair or sorry, those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So we have these people who are exposed. Um, Yet they they reject, they're hard hearted, they don't heed what Christ has to offer. In Christ's context, I want you to think about this. It wasn't atheists that were rejecting him. You know, we hear so much about atheists and so much talk about that who are rejecting. But here it's the religious leaders. The people leading God's chosen people are the ones rejecting Christ, trying to find faults in Him, trying to make Him guilty, would eventually take Him to be executed. I mean, that's pretty incredible to think of that way. When I think of a rejecter of Christ, it's atheist in my mind. But still today, we find many religious people who think they have it figured out, who think that they can have a right relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ and His Gospel. So it doesn't just have to be atheists that are, are rejecting God there's many people at church all over the world that reject Jesus Christ. the seed is given the devil snatches it away that was interesting me to think about the devil snatching the seed away How, how does the devil do that how, do, how does the devil snatch this this seed away? I mean the people would, would hear the gospel they would hear the good news it it's like they kind of believed, and then, but not really because the devil snatches it away. The methods the devil has for snatching are pride. God, I'm not a sinner. I don't need You. I've got this. I can do enough good to get to... You see the pride? Doubt. What if, what if he's not really who he says he is? How about fear of what others will think? Why people would reject... How about the love of sin? God, that sounds kind of good, but I just I love my sin and, and what I'm doing, and I don't want to surrender to You. How about false gospels? Claiming other ways. The devil is very good at, at what he does, and he has ways of working to snatch the seed. And it's a sad reality, but Jesus dealt with this on a daily basis. Look at verse 13. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, fall away. So we have these people who they they hear the message of Christ, and then they say, Well, that sounds good. Like, I'll give that a try. Jesus has done some pretty neat stuff. We've seen some cool miracles. He fed a whole bunch of people on many occasions. You know, Jesus sounds neat. Maybe I'll give him a try. We have these superficial professions of faith. A difficult situation arises, and what happens here according to the verse? The the way that these people are rejecting Christ as difficult times come, nope, that's not for me. I don't want to be with that Christ. I don't like His message anymore. I don't like this thought that I'm a sinner and I need help. I'll, I'll try something else. There's no true repentance. There's no commitment. There's no salvation. And I reference this, but John 6. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? It's a very long chapter. We have these people, over 5,000 people, so excited to meet Jesus, to be fed by Him. They want to follow Him, or at least it appears like it. But as the chapter goes on, what do we find? We find them not liking Jesus' message. Read Read John 6 sometime. Because it starts out great, but then they don't like what Jesus has to say, and they walk away. And there's just a few people left with Jesus. And we have this example of people maybe thinking about believing, but they don't like the whole Gospel, they don't like the whole message, and they walk away when times get difficult. Contrast that with Paul's faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians what? 12, verses 7 through 10. And it's interesting, again, Ken talked about this. Ken had like three sermons this morning. Um, But, ken talked about people believe that when they trust in jesus life is perfect sunshine and roses and smooth sailing and everything is great but man you want an example of that not being true look at the apostle paul i mean in in his legacy he's shipwrecked, he's shipwrecked he's beaten i mean he's tough life in prison he he has a thorn in the flesh that he's going to talk about in these verses second corinthians 12 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure, though the abundance of the revelation there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for Thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Wow. We have a huge group of people that kind of like Jesus, but then times got rough and they run away. Then we have the Apostle Paul who surrendered to Christ and times got tough and he gloried in those difficult times and he... He found God's peace and he found God's presence and he found God's grace. And he found comfort somehow in that difficult prison filled life of pain. You you see the difference there between those who shallowly claim that's kind of good, sometimes a little bit, but not when it gets tough. And then we have the Apostle Paul God is my everything, I need him. I love Him, I believe in Him, no matter what is going on around me. For true believers, difficult situations are not the time to run, but an opportunity to draw strength and give glory to God. One more time. For true believers, difficult situations are not the time to run, but an opportunity to draw strength and to give glory. Have you ever been there? What am I going to do? This is brutal. I need help. God, I trust in You. Somehow, He gives us peace. Somehow, He gives us comfort. Man, running in difficult times, trying to flee what God has for you, must be so miserable when we have a God who knows what we're going through, a God who is there for us, the God of all comforts to help us there in those difficult times, we can stay right there and trust in Him and believe in Him that He can get us through and He can get us out and He will get us through these difficult situations. Or at least He will give us the strength if that's what we're called to be stuck in for the rest of our life. What a wonderful God we have. Christian life isn't all sunshine and roses, but we have a God who cares and loves and is there for us. Look at verse 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they had heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So we have those people who will hear the Gospel. There's no depth. There's no true conversion. They choose the things of this world over Christ. An immediate illustration I thought of was the the rich young ruler. Comes to Jesus. You know, what must I do? Jesus says, sell all your possessions. The guy says, ooh, anything but that. He walked away disappointed because he had much possessions. So we get the illustration here of people aren't willing to believe or aren't willing to to come to Christ because they choose the things of the world over Christ. And uh, I wrote down, the things of this world are short-lived and fleeting. Yet so many people live their lives pursuing everything but Christ. Uh, When Christ is all that we really need. The most important thing that there is. Then we go to verse 15. And we get to see the picture of those who have true salvation in Christ. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the Word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So these are the ones who are obedient to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in their life. The Holy Spirit is working on them. They're obedient. And they believe they receive Christ, ones who hear and truly believe. As evidence of their salvation, there is fruit in their lives that abounds. Did you catch that in there? They don't just make a shallow claim and fade away. They hear the Word and they keep it and they bring forth fruit. Are they perfect individuals? No. Not even close. But we see those who who believe and then operate in obedience there is evidence in their lives that Christ is their King talking of those fruits that abound um, the love of Christ that that love that comes only from God is evident in their life towards God and towards others and then the, the huge one speaking of fruits the fruit of the Spirit those characteristics that the Holy Spirit gives you as gifts from God When you are saved, love, joy, peace. We know the list, right? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness. Okay, Evidences of this fruit abounding in the lives of those who believe. You see, Jesus explains here the different ways people respond to the Gospel message. There's those who kind of believe, turn away. There's those that reject. There's those who are choked out by other cares besides God. And then there's those who with that that soft and, and tender heart of obedience from the Holy Spirit, believe, and there's true salvation and there's fruit from that. From this, I have a few observations, a few questions from our study. First, an obvious one, is how have you responded to the seed of the Gospel in your life? I hope and pray that there's that that. That true belief. That convicting of the Holy Spirit and that obedience on your part. To have that faith in Him. Looking to Him as your Lord, as your Savior, as the only true way for salvation. To be declared righteous before God. That's what I hope and that's what I pray for every single person in this room. But you know, people respond in in other ways. Even people sitting in churches today Respond other ways. So my question for you, how have you responded to the seed of the Gospel? And uh, a story, I have time to tell you a story, it's a good one. Um, Last night, Evelyn came up to me about bedtime. I don't know if this was a trick, so she didn't have to go to bed or what, what her motivation was, but she has this, front tooth that is so loose it just drives you crazy because it's all crooked and you know like she has a jacked up grill but i'm like evie you have got to get that tooth out of your head like it's awful and so she's like okay dad you know will you help me so man we spend like half an hour wiggling that thing and finally i mean i'm prying back and forth and it's pretty funny but uh She goes in the bathroom, and she twists, and bang, she pulls that tooth out. Great, you know, so excited. But she takes a tooth, puts it in a bag, puts it under her pillow for the tooth fairy, which she's obviously figured out as mom and dad. And uh, so, sorry kids that heard that. (laughs) And Ken, sorry to disappoint you. (laughs) But she puts a tooth under her pillow, obviously waiting for dad to give her a buck for that tooth and uh i go in there this morning and uh put the dollar under grab the tooth there's some notes in the bag for dad and mom (laughs) not not tooth fairy um so the first note is like thank you mom and dad like thank you for working so hard and for loving us caring for us providing for us i love you so much you're the best parents may have embellished that a little bit but (laughs) Uh, the next the next note there's relevance to this story I promise the next note says mom and dad thank you for leading me to Christ Amen. eight-year-old girl why did she leave that note? I mean I'm so thankful that she did but what we see or what I see there is that tender heart that obedient heart to the working of the holy spirit. Yes, she hears it from mom and dad all the time. You know, yes, she's she's in a church where she hears the gospel. You know, Owana's Sunday school. But I'm so thankful for that sensitive, tender heart to operate in obedience like that to salvation. And those fruits from that she's my daughter so i think that she's great but man she is loving and she is kind and she is patient and she is caring and i know that you all see the other side in that as well and i do too she gets in trouble but i'm just so thankful for that real life example you know that that i was able to have this morning And I'm so thankful for God working in the lives of my children. I pray for all of them to come to Christ. And three of them have made that profession so far. And little stinking Paisley needs Jesus so bad. (laughs) But what an incredible, silly illustration. I'm just thankful for the way God has worked in my family and in my children. And with that being spread, are we spreading the seed? Are we sharing the Gospel? You know, we can't control people's response to the Gospel. As you probably figured it out if you have spent much time sharing the Gospel with people. Some people don't want to hear it. Some people kind of do. Some people really, really don't. But we can share the story. And we can trust God. In the Holy Spirit to convict and to challenge and to work. You know, we, we can plant, we can water. It's God that gives the increase. It's God that helps that that seed grow. And from this parable, I just want us to consider uh, these, these things. Um, so important, so neat. I'm so thankful for my God, for the way that He works, for His faithfulness in my life. Let's pray together.